Cool. So, I know who you are. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Donald Clark. Um, basically, a lot of my work at the moment includes uh, VR research. Yeah. Um, and I come from a more entertainment background and whatnot, a technical entertainment background. So. Cool. So, um, you're working with um, a piece of technology called Oculus Rift. Can you explain to people sort of briefly what, what Oculus Rift is? Um, basically, it's a VR headset, so that means it's a virtual reality headset. Um, essentially, uh, VR is a means of placing, um, replicating reality within a digital substrate at the moment. And at the moment, Oculus Rift is a, is a, is a machine that allows for that. It's basically, simply put, it's basically, from a technical perspective, a phone screen um, with a gyroscope and two lenses to give a wide field of view and so on. So how is um, Oculus Rift different from the virtual reality headsets we saw back in the years of like 80s, early 90s? What's, um, the, what's, what's, the, what's the leap there? The, the quantum leap isn't necessarily in um, much to do with the actual hardware itself. It's to do with the computing that powers that hardware. Back in the 90s, um, a lot of the computing power was just too slow and too latency involved, basically. Um, also, phone screens have improved a lot, so it's allowed it to be a lot cheaper uh, to manufacture, yeah. simply because of the ubiquity of phone screens yeah. available to us. Back in the 90s, that would have cost a hell of a lot of manufacturing. So. Okay, so... Um I'm going to ask a few questions sort of like about criticisms to do with um, the Oculus Rift. So, reading around the subject, there's this big concept of presence. Um, what is presence? What is presence in, in context of sort of virtual reality, in context of Oculus Rift? I mean, simply put, it's the ability to trick your brain or mind into thinking that it's really in another environment and so on. Um, and if the brain can feel it's another environment, then the body is easier to accept that environment and you have less of a rejection. So presence is simply how how much you are going to reject the, the virtual environment that you're placed in or not. So you need to have a... You need to be prepared for the experience. I, uh, I know it's probably uh, a pretty poor analogy, but I imagine it's the same sort of thing as hypnotism. You have to be open to the experience. You have to be mentally open to the experience to, be allowed, to allow yourself to be hypnotized. You say, is there a similar sort of thing with um, the Oculus Rift where you have to have that mental open attitude towards it to allow you to, to get more out of the experience? No. To allow you to get to a greater degree of presence? Uh, no. Essentially, it's um, 
if you have no experience with it or no mental preparation, you will probably um, you'll probably think it's more real. Um, it's uh, just look at a few of the clips on YouTube with the Ugandan security guard. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he wasn't prepared for yeah. it and he fell off his chair yeah. basically. Um, you know, I think that presence, if presence works, technically it's a trick, but the mind perceives it as being real, um, to some degree anyway, real enough for you to go on a roller coaster and feel it in your gut as yeah. you go down, yeah. basically, to get some nausea and whatnot. Um, but there still are small issues with presence in, in the Oculus room. There's still latency issues, latency being the delay between when you move yeah. your head and the, the and the movement of the actual yeah. um, object that you're viewing. So, um, it's gotten down very. It's got. They got that down to milliseconds now. Yeah. But the brain is still kind of the tech. Yeah. Which is why you feel a bit nauseous. So, so. That kind of brings me up onto sort of the um, next question I was going to ask is about motion sickness and um, sort of how 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 Oculus Rift is sort of like dealing with that. So you, you think it's, it's part, partly it's down to getting the latency down to a level where the subconscious mind isn't going to be able to notice it. But what other what other um, solutions are being sort of looked at? Um, basically, uh, one of the one of the methods um, that isn't available yet on the Oculus is true. It's like proper HD and so on. Um, the refresh rates also need to be up a little bit more. Um, so at the moment you have HD split between two eyes yeah. and so on, so it's half HD on each eye, which means it's half HD basically. Um, so you still see pixelated type of images yeah. and whatnot. Also the refresh rate of those images needs to be increased basically. Um, at the moment it's about 70 hertz, it needs to get to at least 90 or so. Um, the other thing, the stuff that I'm working with at the moment yeah. is the integration of the body. Because uh, right now, if you'd done the roller coaster ride, you'd see that there's no body, it's just your mind yeah. on, a, on a roller coaster. Yeah. And so, so the body needs to be integrated more fully into it. Um, yeah. So um, that, that leads on to kind of that the next question I was going to ask was about accessibility and sort of apart from the headset itself what other accessories is someone going to need to sort of like put on in, in, in terms of being able to get a better degree of presence so I've seen things like um, one person sort of like lying down with like a sort of like fan in front of them to sort of like flying sim so you get the, that, that um, yeah the bird yeah, um, the bird sim yeah yeah, yeah. So what accessories and things like that do you think well I mean the stuff like the bird sim they're very niche in terms not everybody is going to be able to have that so um, right now really it is about getting the full body tracked basically also getting rid of some of the cable cabling involved yeah. um, so that you can be in uh, move around in yeah. your environment to some degree 
Um, but what's interesting is that we're in a moment of like an evolutionary Cambrian explosion as far as peripherals to this is yeah. concerned. Because everybody's working on a device um, that's going to be the next mouse and keyboard. Yeah. And nobody's really figured out what the next mouse and keyboard will be for VR, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things you tried was the leap motion yeah. and so on. And um, that's one method. There are other methods that allow you to hold a device, and that device can be tracked. And because you're holding it, um, and you have, you can click it with your fingers, the device. It feels like you've always got something in your hand when you pick it up. So that seems to work quite well. There's also haptic tracking for the hands, Kinect style sensors that track your full body. Things like suits are just going to be too much in my opinion. They're going to be too, I'm looking more towards sensors that allow you to, um, to not actually put anything on. Yeah. But it's sensing your body and your presence, basically, and then speeding that information back to the computer. Uh, what about um, peripherals like the sort of like the Call of Duty running circuit cage thing, where you're sort of like it's a static. You, I mean, you know. What I'm yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. The Omni, um, the yeah. VR Omni. <laughs> yeah. It. Um, I had the opportunity to try it in in Anition, yeah. and. Um, I, it's quite good, but it's, for, for one, it's a bulky uh, contraption. I, I think only the most hardcore gamers would get involved, and if there's not enough people to get involved yeah. with it, it's, it's not going to be commercially viable. Two, it's not real walking, it's slipping. You, you have to go on a very frictionless surface yeah. and kind of slide your feet so you okay, look so like... Not, yeah, so that's, yeah, I can see how that had a break sort of like presence where you, you know, you're apparently running up a hill and it's just like you're, you're floating in there. Yeah, you're kind of flowing on this thing. It's um, um, The way I envision it at the moment is there are two things I believe are going to happen. Um, one is the introduction of the video arcade again in a very different guise. Um, so just imagine putting on a headset, um, a wireless headset basically. You're in a big warehouse based environment. That warehouse has got optical cameras mapping your movement and other participants' movement. When you put the mask on, you're in a virtual environment that has the same dimensions as the warehouse you're in. Um, and you're walking around with, uh, with a, a, a gun shooting monsters that yeah. are coming at you. Knowing that when you move to the wall, it's a real wall, it's just been virtualized basically. Um, so I see stuff like that happening, where individuals go to these type of arcade style things, try out different experiences, and um, uh, interact with other people in this way. So essentially what you're talking about is Star Trek's holodeck, mm. in essence, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and it would be like the resurgence of the arcade that we all grew up with yeah. again. Um, but in this virtual way. The other the other method is 
I don't know if you've heard that Google bought a company called uh, Magic Motion or something. No, I haven't heard of it. Yeah, yeah. And what they're really going for is what we call augmented reality, yeah. which is um, placing digital objects within yeah, the real so world. So like, I've got a Nintendo 3DS and yeah, they've yeah. got AR cards where you put the card flat down the floor and you look at the card through the, the 3DS view and, and you a dragon appears or something like that. Yeah. 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 So just imagine if you had that with just a pair of glasses basically yeah. and your whole environment was filled now with digital objects. You yeah. could check, we could look at YouTube together, we could um, you know, check our emails, we could um, go in a field and actually recreate Lord of the Rings basically or yeah. something like that. Um, I see it going in that direction eventually. Um, and uh, yeah. Um. So how far in the future is all this stuff, do you think, because... Literally three to five years. Three to five years. Um, okay, and you mentioned, you mentioned something previously, sort of, um, what I thought was quite interesting about commercial viability. Obviously you wouldn't be working on this if you didn't think it was commercially viable, but what do you think about the idea of developing technology, not just for the sake of commercial viability, but just to, for the sake of expanding the realm of human knowledge so that you know I mean for example Concord Concord was decided not to be commercially viable but at least we've developed the technology to commercially transport people at supersonic speeds so do you think um, even if VR wasn't commercially viable would it still be a worthwhile endeavor to, to put your resources into it's a catch-22. Yeah. I mean, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment is um, it's a project that I hope will actually give humans another perspective that wasn't possible before we were. So, at the moment, I'm using um, the late the Kinect sensors, um, like about three or four of them, sticking them in a room, tracking and imaging the room with a person in the room and then allowing that person to have an out-of-body experience and so on. So you're able to see yourself um, doing things from another perspective. Oh wow, cool. Um, now, I think that that in and of itself is interesting with or without the commercial viability simply because if you imagine relating two people from that perspective, um, it's what a lot of philosophers will call an imminent critique of yourself, basically. Um, it's quite abstract um, to get to get into, but essentially, just imagine being able to feel yourself in two places at the same time. Yeah. Being able to relate to yourself and another person yeah. from another perspective yeah. at the same time. Yeah. It's going to change language, it's going to disrupt consciousness, yeah. it's going to create new forms of art, it's going to allow us to see the universe in a very different way. We might have an intuition of what this quantum level is really doing 
because we're now in two places simultaneously and so on. We've never had that in human history before. Um, and so that's something I think that's worthwhile, it's something to pursue. Um, but if it's not, if the technology is not commercially viable, then that can't be possible with uh, that can't be a possibility for the majority of yeah. humans, and it's only when it's culturalized yeah. that these things become cultural. They become cultural possibilities. It extends what humans can do, basically. Yeah. Um, so the commercial viability, on one level, is very important for the non-commercial projects to happen. And so on. Yeah. Um, that's the, yeah. That, that kind of leads on to the next question I was going to ask. I've got two questions really. Um, what do you think the interaction between virtual reality and art is going to be? What, what, what do you see the future as being for virtual reality and, and art? I mean, I, I'm betting on my own vision, yeah. which is what I told you, which is essentially um, the ability to give humans an entirely new perspective. Um, the way I, reason I, I put so much importance to that, not many people, actually nobody's really looking at that section of the art at the moment. They're more interested in how can we create really incredible environments of, like our dreams. Yeah. But the disruption of consciousness itself is not something that people are generally looking at. Yeah. Um, so I see VR as a means of actually changing our language. First and foremost, we've lived with the same language, generally speaking, the linear language that the Greeks invented and gave to us, basically, um, for 4,000 years. And we've been living within that paradigm or with the memory of it, the memory of the, of the Greek intellectual collapse um, for about 3,700 years now. Um, and I think we need to start disrupting our consciousness enough to start creating new language which will create new art simply because it will give us a new way of looking at the world and so on. But the way VR is currently being marketed yeah is that it's more of the same, just a third dimension. Yeah. Well, that leads on to kind of like the next question. Is VR just a game? Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> it would be sad if yeah. it was just a game. That's, I mean, that's the way a lot of it's being pitched at the moment. Yeah, is yeah. That I'm not going to be able to take Call of Duty or whatever first-person shooter in a more immersive environment. And I just think, if that's the way you're going to pitch it, that's the way it's going to be sold to the market. And I just think that this technology in particular is probably capable of being a whole lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, like I say, it will extend human consciousness. Um, you know, the... There will be many ways of doing it. Um, I think the way I've described it with the ability to have not really just an out-body experience, but an experience where the body is, um, where you're out of your body, controlling your body, um, you're in two places at the same time, 
that's an experience that you could probably only have on LSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and look at what LSD did in the 60s right. to society. Yeah. It brought about a um, huge amount of change and human rights and, and so on, basically. So I, I would hope that VR has the potential to actually um, to actually change the way that we relate to one another. Um, so, so in my opinion, VR's been around for a, sort of a, a long time because we're still kind of using VR and industrial applications for things like flight simulators to train pilots. Um, what do you think the industrial applications, more advanced flight simulators for example, but what do you think the industrial applications for virtual reality in the future are? Um, essentially, um, right now there's a huge craze with piloting drones and so on. Oh, dear you know. God. yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> that just makes that a lot more viable yeah. now. Um, there's a competition that happens actually right now with um, it's uh, with the Oculus Rift and VR drone races, so that you can That's race. Just fucking terrifying. <laughs> I just they, yeah, that's it, scary. <laughs> it's, but the emergent aspect of that is that already drone pilots watching just a flat screen, they have they suffer from PTSD. Yeah. Um, the minute you start making that more real for them, um, and you try to open the market so that the average person can be a pilot now the military just start you don't have to take yeah. tests I, I think you're gonna have a lot of injured people not just the people that are getting killed on the other side but the pilots themselves basically um, and so the 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 commercial via the, the industrial viability there is the military complex um, definitely they're gonna use it for that but they're gonna have to deal with with PTSD yeah. on a wider, a broader scale. So, um, I, mean, I was, I was thinking more towards, towards the sort of like, um, so at the moment, you know, driving tests, for example, might be able to do that in VR instead of having the risk of having a learner driver out in the street, having more realistic simulations of like a road, road-based environment, or even things like um, sailing as well, having sort of like virtual reality rigor, you know, you've got a real sailing ship on the same sort of rig as you'd have a flight simulator, but without the risk of someone falling off and drowning, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. Well, I mean, the, the distinction between like what um, the industrialization, the commercialization is that um, if I could build you a, a driving test program right now and you have all the off-shelf capabilities, a steering wheel, I think gaming has already made that uh, as a mass product and so on. So it's not really an, a, a, a kind of an industrial, um, uh, what's it called, application then and so on. What you'll find is that is that very possibly new industries will have to emerge. Um, you know, I mean, even Elon Musk is using, um, he uses VR in his industrial applications to visualize engine parts and whatnot. Okay. Um, and so on. But it's not, but I could do that myself. So it's not really, 
it's the commercialization that allows industry to use these things in the same way that everybody else is using them. So what's interesting is what are the things that normal people will not be able to do with VR that only industry can? Oh, okay, sure, yeah. And I so understand what you're saying, yeah. Because um, right now, industry, I can do the same thing as industry right now with VR. Yeah. So in fact, I can do a lot more because I, I have less constraints yeah. and so on than a lot of those guys. So, I mean, that kind of leads into my next question. Um, you mentioned drones already. When do you think, um, is it ever going to be possible for us to have kind of like um, robots on Mars being piloted by Oculus Rift wearing, you know, people on Earth, sort of like, you know, for mining purposes or stuff like that? Um, most definitely. I mean, in fact, what you might even find is that um, people will be probably be able to use their Oculus Rift or their motion leap glasses or whatever the future holds for this from their home and get a view of um, of the Martian terrain with a drone on the surface. So it becomes again something that everybody can participate in. Piloting it will obviously be done by the corporation and so on. They're not going to risk anybody just <laughs> messing their machine up. But viewing it from a camera will be possible for everybody, I think. So um, that kind of uh, leads to, to my next question. Obviously, you're banking on this technology being quite ubiquitous. Um, what makes you think this isn't not, not the next 3D TV? What do you, what is, you know, what um, you It's simply because what it is, there, uh, uh, there's a man called Terence McKenna who said um, that drugs, uh, hallucinogenic drugs and computing are on an inter a converging course with each other. The only difference between hallucinogenic psychotropic drugs and computers is that you can't swallow a computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are computers you can swallow, you know. You, yeah. you get these, I'm sure you can swallow an RFID chip yeah, you, that the government will be able to track you on. Yeah. <laughs> you probably could. But a computer, it, uh, computers actually disrupt your consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that makes it on par with a... Um, with an, a psychotropic yeah. drug, basically. And the moment we can disrupt consciousness is the moment that we start disrupting culture in general. Now, the problem with TV, 3D TV and TV and even books and so on, is that they come from a period in history that dates back, as I say again, to 4,000 years with the theatre and whatnot. Um, all of these technologies are an extension of the theatre, it's a subject-object view of the world. I sit here as a passive observer, while somebody performs for me, there's a separation between me and the performance. Um, and that's generally how it's been for 4,000 years. The technology has just accommodated that. All of a sudden now with VR, we end up with a situation where this theatre of the mind, basically, 
um, that has caused the separation, the duality between us and the performance itself, all of a sudden it becomes embodied. It becomes our first person perspective again, basically. Um, and that's different simply because now it's coming from yourself and whatnot. This computing is embedded in your physical environment. You can use your thumbs and index finger now to control it. You have, um, you take part in it and so on. And God knows what that will do, basically. Um, already there are people, myself included, if you do enough hours in VR, you end up lucid dreaming. Yeah. and so on and that's no one predicted that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know um, so yes it could be 3D TV if all it does is just meet the expectations of the gaming market yeah. but there are so many other things that we can't predict about it um, simply because it's part of our body again so I mean that, that is um, kind of leads on to the next couple of questions I've got the first one is what do you think the killer app for the Oculus Rift is going to be? What do you think the killer app is? Because software always drives the sales for hardware. Yeah, yeah. At, at the moment, it's it's simply in the short term, it's simply going to be um, your ability to be embodied within a virtual environment in a very um, addictive, mind-consuming game essentially. Um, that hasn't been done properly yet because we're still looking for the tools, the peripheral tools and so on. Um, but in the long term, we've got to ask ourselves the question, where's it going? And I don't know if you realize that Google are actually mapping um, our entire world at the moment. Yeah. Right. And they're not just mapping it with pictures, they've already started to try and map it. The actual in 3D itself, um, so that you can have a, a real-time view of what's happening in the world via um, like a 3D interface, yeah. basically. Um, and they're mapping cities, they're mapping mountainscapes, they're mapping, you know, and they're sending drones to do all of this, basically. And those drones are flying around mapping that consistently. Um, I believe that if that happens, what does it mean? It means that um, your mind now can be unleashed. It doesn't have to be in this environment. It could actually be sitting down. We could be having this conversation together, right? And I could just teleport on that chair and so on. Um, seeing this environment as I am, all the way in America or France or wherever, uh, but teleport here, simply because all of this will be constructed in 3D anyway, and updated in real time consistently and whatnot. So that, I mean, that could be like a, um, a killer killer app then, too. I mean, especially for sort of businesses, so imagine, um, you know, being yeah. able to, because that's why people still fly halfway across the world to conduct business meetings, because you can't, having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone, you can't beat that. Yeah, you yeah. can't beat that. You cannot beat that, basically. Yeah. And um, if you have the ability to just upload yourself on this chair to do this interview yeah. with me from your home but see 
everything I'm seeing here, hear everything I'm hearing, yes. have a full sensory experience, basically, um, or as far as that's possible yeah. at the moment. Um, essentially, that disrupts everything. It's teleportation in its most fundamental way. Yeah. Whatnot. The mind becomes unleashed, location becomes this thing that there's no latency between location now, it's almost instantaneous. It's light speed, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I, I kind of see things where the great projects of mankind that we thought in the past would be let's try to take people out into space. Yeah and mine things and whatnot. We're gonna start seeing satellites actually mapping the planet in 3D for the system. That, I think, will become a new yeah. challenge. And then going off to map Mars in 3D yeah. so that we could start to colonize that with mine. Yeah. Just imagine being here, but your mind is on Mars. It's, yeah. it's, it's nuts, yeah. you know. So um, I want to talk a bit about now the projects that you're working on yourself. So I saw two demos that you prepared. One of them was the, the light demo, and the other was the sort of like the box demo. What other projects are you working on? Um, well, the main the main project is the one I've been um, very unsubtly advertising in this interview, which is. Um, the ability to have an out-of-body experience with VR. Now that's already been done. Um, some researchers from some university have done it and um, I'm able to replicate that with the Kinect um, and the Oculus Rift. Uh, but I'm taking it very seriously. So the way I'm going to introduce this um, Please don't tell your theater this until I until I go and see them or something like that. Um, but uh, what's it called? Um, but put it in the blog, nevertheless, of course. Um, is I would like to do a theater production. Um, at the moment, I'm writing a script. One of the guys in this cafe that we're sitting in, he's an actor who's agreed to participate in this okay. and so on. And um, it sets off like this. Um, just imagine walking into a theater and right next to you is an empty seat with a name on it. Now that name basically um, is the name of the characters that you're going, is one of the name of the characters you're going to see on the yeah. stage basically. And you're wondering why is the seat empty? Um, as the play progresses, you're going to start getting hints that there's something very odd about the scene. It has, it's very tied into the performance. Um, at least halfway through the play, the theater, you're going to realize that very dra dramatically that the actor on the stage is actually sitting right next to you on the chair. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, they're going to be, we're working on various means to make yeah. that like a dramatic thing for the audience yeah. to witness yeah. and so on. Um, but in the most real sense possible, the actors will be uh, sitting with the audience yeah. while at the same time acting on the stage yeah. with the play and so on. Yeah. And um, I think this is a really great way of actually introducing these questions by using theatre 
yes. and using an audience basically that will participate in this performance art yeah. project yeah. Um, to illustrate that VR is more than just video games and yeah. you know and uh, 3D TV basically. Um, I think Omnibus, well, that's the place where I'm doing my internships. Omnibus is in, it's right near Clapham Common. It's a small theatre, but I, I think that would pretty much be, I might be ideal. The, the only thing is, when I, Marie, who's the artistic director there, is that when you do this, you need to make sure you find the right theatre to do it. So you've got the, you can bring in the right crowd. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's really, really important because one person pitched to the, the idea of doing like a hard rock and roll opera type venue, opera type um, production in there. And she's just like, this is Clapham Common, where I'm going to get, get in the pundits for that. Yeah, so yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. finding the right venue for that sort of experience, I think, would be sort of like quite yeah, key. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. But, um, yeah yeah, so I mean that's kind of like the main thing. Dude, if you need some help with that, I'm not too sure if I told you this, but I'm kind of like writing a sitcom at oh, the moment. Yes, yes. So um, I might be a scriptwriter. Yeah, actually. so yeah, yeah. I'm actually hope was we're supposed to have met up like two, three weeks ago. I'm supposed to be meeting up with a producer and a director to try and shoot something. Mm -hmm. So you know, I let them know also look, my mate's playing around with this VR idea. Do you know anyone that might be able to get involved in that? And I can even ask people at, at the theatre so like, yeah, as yeah. well. So. It would be interesting. I mean, I won't tell the artistic director about what exactly the thing is, but I'll just let her know so I might know anyone who could go. Well, you, you can also. even tell them what I'm doing yeah. um, in terms of... Uh, the thing is, I, I, I would do that, but I'd explain it so badly yeah, that yeah. I might botch any possibility <laughs> if I have. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah I'll, yeah. I mean, what I found is that people who don't know I'm working with VR, yeah. if I tell them this, yeah. they're like, how the fuck are you going to do that? Yeah. So it becomes like a kind well, of a, a magical challenge. thing. That's, yeah, I mean, if you, uh, one quote I read recently, which I love, is that if you tell yourself um, you can do something, and if you tell yourself you can't do something, you're right. So no, if you yeah. tell yourself you can do it, you're right. If you tell yourself yeah. you can't do it, you're also right. Well, because, well that's you know. the thing, right? It's uh, it's a weird one. But I think what, what it is, is that like, if you knew I was doing VR, yeah. you might kind of intuitively kind of get, okay, maybe it could be done with that. Yeah. If you didn't know about that I was doing VR and I just told you that, yeah. that the actor will be on the audience yeah. and uh, yeah. it would be a bit of a mind fuck yeah. in a way. It's, um, but you know, it's possible and so on. So I, I tend to kind of introduce it like that, try to keep the technology yeah. out. Yeah. But just introduce it as almost a magical yeah. thing, basically. You know. I mean, you know, it might not be that big a leap for Omnibus because there are whole, they're planning on holding a TED Talk X there in January at some point. So yeah, I'll, I'll 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 talk to the artistic director and see see what she says. Yeah, yeah. About that. Um, what other questions have we got for you? Um, covered AR games. Covered so storytelling so I mean you've, you've talked a lot about sort of like the, the old school method of storytelling where you're just you're experiencing it from sort of like very much a passive perspective what do you think the impact of VR on storytelling is I mean you've already mentioned sort of like the example of the project that you're working on the play well 
maybe play is the wrong word, but the sort of like theatre experience that you're planning. What other sort of like potential avenues do you see for VR? Um, essentially, for storytelling, I mean, um, because it brings it back to the body again, basically. I mean, um, the most immediate type of storytelling, um, the most obvious one is is basically you get to participate in your own hero's journey from your first person perspective yeah. entirely. Um, what's happening at the moment is that there's a convergence at the moment between what you call procedurally generated video games yeah. and, um, uh, and, and basically the introduction of this new technology in VR. Um, at the moment they're running on separate courses yeah, and whatnot, but there's a beautiful game called No Man's Sky um, that will be coming out for the PlayStation next year. And it's a completely procedurally generated universe where you make... I didn't realise that about that game. I didn't realise it's procedurally generated. Yeah, yeah. It's, um... Oh, that makes that more even more fucking impressive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, essentially, you end up writing and directing and performing in your own story yeah. with environments that allow you to do that, basically. Um, so it's very much, I guess, like World of Warcraft, etc., all of that kind of stuff. Except things like No Man's Sky, there are really no rules. Yeah. You set up your own rules. Uh, but you do it, if you incorporate VR into this style of game, you will be doing it from a very, very first-person perspective. Um, and to me, that that actually, it stops the separation, the passive separation between us and allows us to be part of our own story again, and so on. We, we haven't had that for almost three, four hundred years, basically. Um, uh, this is a bit of a, a, a digression, really. Um, I wrote um, a sci-fi story a while back about a woman that developed technology to re-experience her own past from like a first-person perspective. So obviously, total recall from your own personal memory is. I'm not too sure if that's even te technologically sort of like possible. Yeah, yeah. But do you think that might be? An application, sort of like for the Oculus Rift, where you're actually able to re-experience your own past from your own memories from a first-person perspective using the, the Oculus Rift. Um, I'll put it to you this way: not with the Oculus, yeah. um, but it wouldn't. I, I can already imagine how you would be able to do that. Yeah. Um, essentially, um, if you are able to map your environment basically in 3D in real time yeah. which is going to be very possible soon I think basically for anybody to do they're starting to integrate these little mappers on phones and yeah. stuff um, let's say you were wearing a pair of glasses or contact lenses that were able to record yeah. and map in 3D yeah. all of a sudden you'll have access to everything that you've seen in 3D, basically, and you'll be able to witness that from a third-person perspective. You just go back to the memory, close your eyes or whatever, go see a, an image up of August 20th, yeah. 2005 or whatever, yeah. or 
I should say 2014. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we are uh, in the sci-fi years. So yeah, it's yeah. Kind of like, yeah. <laughs> We're in the sci-fi years. It's like time travel, isn't it? You can only do it from the point you made the time machine. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, I, I will be, you know, and if you imagine almost like children being born into this. Yeah. They'll have access to memories from, from their childhood, childhood and That's so on, yeah. you know, and so it is very possible. I mean, it's possible to do this now with bulky equipment, yeah. but all that implies is that it will be possible to streamline that into yeah. everyday use yeah. eventually. Yeah. So um, one last question on sort of like the Oculus Rift, really. Do you think there are any sort of like medical or clinical applications for the the Oculus Rift, especially sort of like dealing with things like mental illness or sort of um, things like Alzheimer's and stuff like that. Um, basically, um, it's quite interesting. It's very interesting. Um, there is something happening to the brain. It's being forced to rewire in some way. Um, I'll give you an example, a very, a very concrete example of what I mean, that, because you might not believe my lucid dreaming, but you'll have to take note. Now, four months ago, I couldn't draw. Oh, wow. Right. Four months yeah. ago, I couldn't draw yeah. at all. Yeah. And so on. Right. Um, all of a sudden, I could see perspective, right? I started walking down the street. You have this thing in VR, even medical researchers have a name for it. It's a residual reality checking effect or something. And um, I'll send you the correct terminology yeah, yeah. for it. But you start to challenge reality yeah. after prolonged use in VR. You start to wonder if it's all real. One of the things I found happening was that I started seeing weirdness like when you're walking down the road you see somebody yeah um, now automatically on the other side of the road that person you can tell if he's taller or shorter than you yeah. but the reality is really what you're looking at is a person that's only a few centimeters high yeah and so on yeah um, now with prolonged use in VR what seems to happen is that the part of you that can see that that person is only a few centimeters tall yeah. becomes more prominent than it usually is. Yeah. So at once you see that actually, wow, this woman over there is only is only five centimeters tall. Yeah. But you also know that she might be shorter than yeah. you. And once you can see that, you start you, you're seeing in perspective. Yeah. You can see that on a two D page. Now that is a rewiring of the brain, yeah. right? And I've shown you concrete evidence yeah. for that. Like yeah. I couldn't draw before that. All of a sudden now I'm doing architectural drawing and so on. It's, um, and so there is a possibility if you can use the right type of software to rewire the brain in a way. And I believe things like Alzheimer's and so on might be yeah. helped yeah. with this, possibly. Even, you, know, you know, stuff like autism and, you know, even sort of things like, um, um, you know, you know, soldiers coming back 
from war with sort of like depression and you know, anxiety and stuff. So yeah, 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 helping them to sort of like rewire their brains that way. Yeah, yeah, it's very possible. I mean, that's a whole new field, basically. Like the whole thing I'm thinking of with um, the. I'll wait for that. <laughs> yeah. With the with the coming out of your body thing. If you imagine the applications for autism with that. Now an autistic person usually has the inability to recognize faces and and my, my nephew's autistic. Um, autism is not I would say there's autisms rather than autism. Spec there's a yeah, spectrum. There's a spectrum. So yeah, yeah. I think it depends on where exactly on the spectrum and what um, behaviours they exhibit. But yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the stuff I, I, I noted in some of the research I'd done in it was um, that if sometimes an autistic person, I, I couldn't tell you what part of the spectrum they'll be on, but sometimes when they hit if they touch you they might hit you too hard yeah. and so on simply because they don't know that hitting you affects you because yeah. there's an there's an em empathic, i wouldn't really call it yeah, there's an empathic yeah. channel that that they're, they're not aware of yeah. basically but if you imagine them being able to see themselves interacting yeah. from a third person perspective they would see themselves hitting somebody they might know that you know now they're not locked in their body yeah right they have a bigger field of view and that might rewire their brain yeah. to, to to engage with more empathy and yeah. so on basically so and i mean that's just one kind of application yeah. you know? I, I mean that's obviously my answer to like issues of like mental health and stuff that's i think you know the clinical applications is something i think are quite interesting yeah yeah but, you know enhanced sort of like cognitive behavioral therapy for example stuff like that i think is anything that can rewire the brain i think yeah, it's yeah. quite it's quite interesting really and well it, it seems to be capable of doing that yeah yeah, yeah. well it, it's the thing i mean there's a reason why mckenna said um that hallucinogenics and computing are on a collision course because the only thing really known to rewire the brain a court, uh, you know, from a medical perspective, is psychotropic drugs. Yeah. You know, they use MDMA now. The most effective treatment for PTSD is MDMA, and so on. Um, magic yeah, mushrooms. Huh? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're yeah. saying about MDMA. Yeah, yeah, it's used as the most effective treatment for um, for PTSD. Um, magic mushrooms, currently they're doing tests in um, Imperial College yeah. where it's, it's treating depression incredibly effectively. Um, so we can re recreate these kind of hallucinogenic experiences are more safe way yeah. with things like the, with, the, with yeah. the potential bad trip basically yeah. that you can get. Even things like, um, I'm not too up to date with like, like the addictedness of 
LSD and stuff like that, but you know. There's no addiction with that that type of thing. I mean, if you're on other medication, there might be bad interactions, and yeah, yeah. you can avoid that by using by using this stuff. Yeah, yeah. By by potentially, I mean, the difference being that you can't switch off a trick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can switch this off. Basically. Now it might be that. It only works because you can't switch it off. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, but I believe um, just the fact that I I can draw in in detailed perspective after four months, basically, of like using the uh, uh, you know of drawing, basically. Um, it's saying something about the fact that VR is doing something to my brain. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of, of innovative software developers coming up with interesting applications that poke consciousness in a way. Cool. Um, well, I think we'll wrap up the interview. Um, is there anything else you want to plug? Anything else you want to promote apart from your software? Um, Any interesting events that you're going to... Basically, I... Right now, I think um, there will be a, a documentary I'm going to be releasing soon um, that deals with some of this stuff, basically. Um, as far as details go, um, I will give it to you. I'll send it to your blog, basically, for your readership and so on. But we'll probably be talking in the next month or so okay. and whatnot. Um, it's a documentary called What, what is Real? And I'll also be speaking to a few philosophers and whatnot um, about this. And it's it's going to be about um, this new perspective I would like to introduce into the world yeah. that's possible now with VR, basically. So, just to, to wrap up, you're Donald Clark. What's the name of your company and where can they find you if they need to get work? Uh, basically, um, follow you. Have you got a Facebook page, Twitter? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, basically, um, name of my company is Aurelia Soliton. And um, it's, uh, you'll be able to find me. Um, you can email me directly. You can find me on Facebook. Um, basically, uh, just put that on the blog, yeah, yeah. my contact details, yeah. which I'll give it to you yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you my Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Excellent, dude. All right, I, th I think that's basically it. I think I'll take up enough of time. Thank you, dude. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Thanks man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. That was really interesting, man. Yeah, really yeah. interesting. Hope the um